This is an ABC podcast. Bang, 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 is it your 21st? Yeah. <laughs> yes. But also, can you believe on this exact day, and the only way I know this is because Facebook memories are now my memory, on mm. this day, six years ago to the day, bang on, episode one was published. Six wow. years and almost 230 episodes later, here we are. Shall we go into the time machine and hear what we oh were God, like? I'm terrified. Back in the day. Bang oh on. <laughs> With Miff and Zan. Oh, hello, Miff Warhurst. Hello, Zanro. And welcome to our inaugural edition of Bang On. And it is a shortcut to all the conversations you will be having this week. See, I got that right, Zan. (laughs) And I got through it. I was nervous. I'm already sweating. But you stopped halfway to congratulate yourself that you've got it right before finishing the sentence. I'm no good when I have to do anything properly. Bang On. So you've evolved. Nothing's changed. (laughs) You went in with such confidence, so I love that. You're like, and this is your place for music, art, life and stuff. Yeah, all the conversations that you'll want to have this week. I think oh, how cute. I think that you We might. sound so cute. We sound so fresh and, 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 and young and full of hope. And, I mean, we still are, but um, we're still being dickheads. I think that's one thing that's covered yeah, through the become last more. six years. I think, that's gone, I think that's gone further down the... Uh, down the hole there, becoming dickheads. I love um, that though. And I mean, yeah. can I just say that we had no idea six years ago. We did this, you know, because we, we had a drive to do it. We thought it would be fun, but also we had lots of things that we wanted to share. And the community that we have been very lucky to grow over those six years, the Bang Fam, as we call you, is just amazing. Last night yeah. I was at a show in a tiny corridor and someone bang fammed me. This happens oh, really? all the time. Someone so... threatened to bang fam me on stage, apparently, <laughs> I found <laughs> I subsequently. And but Because Rocky Horror, there's an element of being able to yell out if you want. And um, they said they thought about it to do a public bang fam. Um, they didn't, obviously, but thank you. Can I just thank say, you for the thought. if this is your first time listening to Bang On, I just want to explain what that means because you could be thinking that we're talking about something very differently when you say someone threatened to bang fam me on stage. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. It does sound a bit sus, doesn't it? When we have, a, um, when we have a, a, you know, an interaction with a Bang On listener, our Bang Fam, as we beautifully call you, mm. um, we, we love it because you often will say Bang Fam or yell it to us across the street. Um, one of my highlights was when it was yelled to me across the, the Lima section of the Melbourne Zoo. Sometime, oh. One time someone um, flipped past me on a lime bike, uh, lime oh. scooter, in fact, in Adelaide okay. and, and bang fammed me. So it's basically just crop dusting a bang fam yeah. to it's let you know. Whis- sometimes that, a whisper as well. It's like a little secret. Bang fam. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's part, you it know, is. it's a it's a not so secret society and you're part of it. So we thank you so much and always Bang famous if you see us out in the wild. Just quickly though, um, where did that begin? I can't even remember. How did Bang Fam come about? I don't know. I think we just started calling our our Bang On crew the Bang Fam. I don't know if it was something that one of our Bang Fam came up with or that if, we did. It just feels like all things that, you know, nicknames mm. that come about felt kind of organic and I'm not sure where it began. If anyone can remember the first time it was used, <laughs> no, that'd do, be good. Do our jobs for us is what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Someone will know. Someone's clever. Someone remembers. Yeah. 
Well, it's been a very big week once again. We have a oh, lot to then. talk about in music, art, life and stuff. My head's been spinning, though. It's been a You've wild time. You've had a huge, huge week. Talk to me. Talk to me. What's going on? Well, I see photos of you with Max Martin. <laughs> I see you travelling all over the world. You're going to Björk in Perth, her only show. Well, I was on a plane just hours after last week's Bang On was recorded. And, yeah, I flew to Perth to see Björk. I spoke about um, at the time when I was on the ground there for 36 hours, that being Björth. I renamed the city Björth. Oh, yes, and right. um, she was amazing. She's doing four shows as a part of Perth Festival. Two more to go if you're listening to this on Thursday when it comes out. And she was phenomenal, like just wild, incredible staging, sounded amazing. Like her voice still sounds so incredible, just cut through, beautiful flute choir, human choir, Instruments I've never seen before. I'm pretty sure she invented them. Just wild. And again, just reminding me of um, the power of one of the most unique and iconic performers of our time and being able to see her for the first time in 15 years. So I had a great day in Perth and then I needed to fly back over east to shoot the very first episode of Take 5 Television Series 2. There was an offer I couldn't refuse. Oh, yeah. I can't no tell spoilers. you who it is yet. No spoilers, but it's a good one, isn't it? It's a really good one. They were well, it'd be amazing. worth it flying back from Perth when you were going to have a holiday. Yes, I cancelled. <laughs> I cancelled a holiday and went to Perth for 36 hours. That's how good this guest is. So, yeah, yeah that's um, that was exciting. And then I decided to fly back home to Melbourne and get up the next morning and meet Max Martin. Max Martin, a, a person responsible for so much of the musical soundtrack to our lives. Yeah, well, I feel like when you say the name Max Martin, if you're a music nerd, then you might know this. If you're a pop music fan, you may know his name. But if you don't, um, he's written 25 number one hits in the last 30 years. Not he bad odds. holds the record right behind Lennon and McCartney for the most number one hits he's written. Songs like this. And my favourite. So the other thing is that Max Martin does not do interviews. He's given two interviews in the last 22 years, Mip. No he doesn't, way. Like, you know how some, I don't know if you know any Scandinavians, but I've I have a couple of Scandinavian friends and there's this real thing in Scandinavian culture of not blowing your own trumpet. Don't get too big for your boots. Be humble, be chill. And Max Martin very much subscribes to that school of thought. He also doesn't need to do interviews. He's not the vocalist. He's not the star like all these people are, like Britney, like Backstreet Boys, like Bon Jovi, all the people that he writes um, big hits for. So he just doesn't give interviews. And so I was asked to do a small media-only event um, at a little bar in Melbourne, because he's in Melbourne at the moment, helping out with the production of Anne Juliet, which is this new feminist revisioning of the Romeo and Juliet story. Fabulous. And it's a jukebox musical of all of his songs. So he's been working with, imagine if you were the musicians working on that show and you're just hanging out with Max Martin for the last the three guy weeks. who wrote the songs. Yeah, don't muck it up. So don't, yeah, don't, <laughs> do not fuck that up. Um, but that's imagine what he's been in town for. got the words wrong in front of him. Oh, sorry. <laughs> And he was lovely. He was so nice. Oh, good. He looks like um, a Nordic warrior. He's got the full, like, long hair, and I believe mm. he did used to play in a Swedish metal band, and that course he absolutely did. Course checks he did. out. Of course he did. I he love him. so good, though. Love him. That's brilliant. What a week. Are you okay? 
I'm okay. I feel really buoyed. You know, I think we talk about um, a lot about, like I know I get a bit woo-woo with this, but intentional thinking. And one of my big intentions for this year and for the last two years has been spending the time doing the things that I love. And I love interviewing people, collaborating, doing new things outside of my comfort zone. And that's what I'm really driving towards at the moment. So Mm. Being able to do that, even if it is tiring and zipping around, it's a great privilege, but also it's fun. It's it's feeding my soul. And I feel like this is like you're getting that same vibe at the moment too with Rocky Horror. And I know that we've been talking about it a bit, but I wanted to check in because now you've settled into like opening night, opening week vibes. How, yeah. How's it all going for you as you go into this whole new terrain? Oh, amazing. I'm I'm. Absolutely loving it. It's it's throwing up new challenges that I didn't even know existed. You know, like each show is different. Uh, some nights there's interaction with the audience, other nights there's not. So I have to rely on being a bit more theatrical, which I'm struggling a bit with, I have to admit, because I'm not a theatre performer. You've always had amazing timing, though. I feel like you could just, you know, if anybody throws anything out at you, you'd zip oh, right back at them. I'm not worried about that. It's when they don't yell that it's. I have to oh. just rely. <laughs> I'm fine with the yelling. Yell out all you like because... I'm good with that. That that that's when I come alive. But um, yeah, when I have to, when people don't yell and it's just about the lines, yeah. that's when I get a bit insecure. I'm like, oh god, I'm not good enough. But um, I'm having a ball. Everyone's beautiful. It's yeah, it's really pushed me in ways I I didn't even know I was capable of being pushed in. So I had my first big mistake though last night. I missed my cue. Oh, no. I know. And that's not easy in front of a thousand people expecting you to pop out and say a line. <laughs> and the actor on stage, a little unfair on them. Um, so what happens when when you do that? What happened? Well, I was just, I was, I, some, I had a, like, this is the thing. It's different every night. I had this weird sort of, it was almost like I was out of my body or something last night. I, it's like I wasn't there and and someone explained to me it was as if perhaps my long-term memory was kicking in. It's no longer a short-term memory thing. So my brain was changing while I was through the oh show. My gosh. There's all sorts of things that, that actors will tell you happen to you. So it's really fascinating on that level. Anyway, I was just having a chat with one of the other... <laughs> One of the other performers out the back, and it was only a small space of time, and I had to come out and press on a computer screen and say, um, "Gosh, what's my line? I can't even remember now." <laughs> there you go. Oh, Janet's feelings ran wild as she frantically manipulated the selector switch on the TV monitor. The screen threw up images of empty rooms and corridors, and and the next bit I was supposed to say something else, and I just added, "And me running around the back, not." Almost about to miss my cue, and then I was, and I told the audience they had a special night. It was a special night for them because that was a one-off, and I may never work again. So, so it worked out well in the end. They would have loved lulls. that—a little peek behind the curtain. And apparently, you could hear me running to the stage as well. <laughs> it was so silent. It's a really loud musical, but it was so silent. And then you hear this. <laughs> D, who plays Janet, goes, "I was gonna, I was gonna start speaking, but then." Um, I just I heard these footsteps coming, and I was I knew I knew to wait. So yeah, there, that's my. It's terrifying, Zan. It's always terrifying. It's constantly terrifying. I'm so sorry I missed that. <laughs> R.I.P. All the audience in there, they would have loved that. I hope so. Sorry. So so good. The other thing that happened this week is that it was International Women's Day yesterday, Miff, and yep. this is a day that has been running for a long time, and I always have mixed feelings about IWD. Um, It's a strange one. How do you feel about this day, celebrating women and in many ways 
drawing attention to all the ways that there's still so much inequality for mm. for, for women. Yeah, look, we deserve a day. Uh, men have a day for those who still continue to ask on the internet. It can be solved by a quick search. Um, and it's, I think, I think the issue that a lot of people have with it is that it's, it's, it's changed from being a day that is about creating structural change to a day where we sort of have morning teas and celebrate um, when the changes haven't still occurred to the same extent mm. that perhaps we'd want them to at a rate that perhaps we'd want them to happen. So I think that's where the uh, the disconnect is happening with the day um, and I certainly feel that as well. I, I don't want pink things on International Women's Day. I, I want real change and um, – I think just being aware of that. But then also that it's also a day for a lot of companies where women don't get to talk about these things. Um, so I think it is still important to a certain extent. Like imagine if you're working in a trucking company. Mm. Of course it's important to have uh, International Women's Day because your numbers would be small uh, and it, it makes it makes the women in the company visible or more visible. So I do think it has a role. But yes, I do also feel a little uncomfortable given how far we haven't seen to come. Yeah. What about you? Well, I, I know this sounds really um, not very hopeful, but it kind of gets me down because it's like in many ways a reminder because there are a lot of headline stories because you can't ignore the reality of the inequality and the um, abuse, the um, the horrible things that happen to women in, in large and small scale, but having a concentration of it on this day and that being something that's really the narrative, it just, it gets me down. And I know that sounds, like I said, hopeless. Um, I try to dig in and, and celebrate. I try to look for the positives, but it just feels again, like that old saying of we'll get there. We just got to get there faster. Like it's taking so long for us to fix these problems. And I think a big part of that is that the people, you know, in power and a lot of those, um, patriarchal systems where, you know, people who aren't directly affected by this are still holding large positions of power, just don't have the motivation to, to make that change. It is getting better, but it's just not getting better nearly quick enough. And yeah. something certainly very close to home for us um, as as presenters, as public-facing people, as literally people who work within the ABC and on TV and radio, was seeing this week, earlier this week, Lisa Miller, who's the host of ABC News Breakfast, dealing with some horrific and misogynistic and vile, vile mm. comments on social media about an outfit she was wearing. A and skirt. A skirt she was wearing. And that was bad enough. But these comments were then picked up by the Daily Mail and News Corp and they were turned into an article which was posited as a shocking, uh, disgusting reaction and, you know, slamming it, but so clearly and thinly veiled as clickbaits. Like, well, putting something and justifying something which is ostensibly on, you know, a bin fire that is Twitter yeah. within a publication, even if it is the Daily Mail or, you know, a, or a kind of more um, salacious part of a newspaper, yeah. it it elevates it, it amplifies, amplifies it. And then to put pitch to Lisa and to the ABC News team, we'd like a comment. It's just it's just disgusting. And it's like the lowest 
of the low of clickbait um, and not journalism by any means. And I really felt for Lisa because she was, you know, dealing with that no matter um, how much in the public eye you are and how thick a skin you have, no one deserves that. And seriously, no one can handle that kind of abuse. It's awful. It is awful. Um, And so relentless as well with particularly female journalists. Yeah. But she did a beautiful piece, which I encourage you to look at on her Instagram, responding to that. And yeah, just like thinking about what that means to consistently see that and then to see much the same as when you see women succeed, when you see women constantly pushed down by a, a small but vocal minority of people, um, mm. the, the the young women, the little girls who are growing up and thinking, I want to do this, yeah. are like, oh, maybe it's too hard. I certainly think about that when I'm asked to do news things. I'm like, as soon as I put myself in that position, um, I'm going to start getting abused. And I, yeah. I think about that. It's like, what is there a choice that I would make? As an entertainment journalist, it's a very different offering to a news journalist. Yeah. And that sucks. That it's... sucks that this is like... You know, we have fear around that and we have to think about the choices that we make professionally because of the abuse that we might get mm. for those choices for no reason is, at all. It is a fact that women are disproportionately attacked uh, with abuse on social media, more so than men. Yeah. You know, it's it's as clear as day. And Lisa actually addressed this in her in her piece, that her response, I guess you could call it, to what happened. She said, I'm angry, though, on this International Women's Day. And it's interesting that it happened on International Women's Day or the day before. On behalf of myself, but also on behalf of other women, young women who see those stories and see someone like me being violently abused day after day for whatever reason, bullies confined. I worry it might make you think that no progress has been made and that it's not worth it to be a woman in the public arena. And she turns it around and says, you know, the, the level of support that she's had has been extremely extraordinary and and that's why she continues to do what she does regardless of the abuse and that's incredibly strong of her Mm. I think um you know I know I don't cop it as much as as news journos do but it's still there and it's just it's just gross and I don't even know what the answer is anymore do we just shut the whole thing down or do we no longer force employees to actually have to have Twitter if they're working in the field of the media I, I don't know a lot of people are pulling back particularly at the ABC about Twitter accounts I think for that very reason because it's become a really gross space mm. and a really abusive space. But I think that that idea of, um, yeah, the support and being very vocal with your support and um, women and particularly men calling out that behaviour is has power. Lucy Smith also spoke to that. She posted yep. a great thing this week, a Triple J broadcaster, um, awesome human, and she posted a comment to Instagram speaking to men specifically about, you know, wondering what they can do beyond, you know, shouting out the women in their lives, which in many posts I saw with their mums, which is great, but also um, think bigger and (laughs) wondering what they can do. Uh, And and this resonated with so many people. You know, it's got thousands of likes on Instagram and she was basically asking, you know, you know, you know, when you have that friend who's just a a little bit sus, the one that's a good mate, but you'd tell a girl to think twice before going there, the one that's a legend to work with, but a real suspect at the function, Mm. the one that you know is problematic, but you just stay out of it. The one you need to keep your eye on once he's had a few beers. The one that you wouldn't want to leave your girlfriend alone in a room with. And she says, we're tired of talking about your friend in our group chats, warning each other and doing the work because you don't want to have the conversation. And I thought that was such a resonating rallying call Mm. to, as we see with all forms of abuse and bullying, when you see it, call it out in that moment and when you've got that position of power whether it's a friend a colleague 
you know, as a man or as someone who's in a larger position of power than perhaps the woman who is feeling on the end of that abuse, call it out, stop Mm. it in its tracks. And I thank Lucy for posting that because it's a simple idea but a really powerful one. Yeah, it's fabulous. On a lighter note, uh, (laughs) Gordy, musician Gordy, great new single out at the moment, um, has written on Twitter, and I love this, correct me if I'm wrong here, but now that there are two statues of women in Canberra for International (laughs) Women's Day... We just need five more and then we'll be on par with the number of dog statues in the nation's capital. (laughs) Great tweet. Fact. (laughs) And it was really great to see that Golden Plains have just announced this week that they will be changing their lighting rig to reduce strobing, which Mm. can trigger seizures for people with epilepsy. It causes issues for other people who have got sensory conditions. I was actually at Meredith last year and one of the performers, Al Carlson, who I'd never heard of before and absolutely blew me away, he was calling out Meredith and any festival and any artist who used strobing within his set. He was saying stuff like, if any of you have got strobe lights in your set, you're fucking ableist. Wow. If you see someone using strobes later, normalise booing and just boo them, then we can all have fun together safely. Catch the fuck up, Meredith. That's amazing. It was so amazing to see. And also it clearly got me thinking because I have been to gigs over many, many years, decades, and I understand that strobing can cause effects, but I've never quite made the next step and thought, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, if you're at a show, beyond just watching it on a screen, a TV screen, if you're at a show and you don't know this is coming, that's messed up. That can disable you within that show. And he called it out. And so the festivals have confirmed that they are no longer going to be using light that's primarily for strobing effects. They're changing the setup of their rigs in the way that the lighting can or cannot flash. And so it doesn't cause that or reduces the potential for seizures. And they're making a shift. And I love that. Well, it's kind of what you were saying about International Women's Day and and what Lucy posted. Calling it out actually makes a difference. And it's not to say that the festival is bad. I think the festival just didn't really think about it until that point yeah and and that's where we need to be it's about getting people at the very root of the problem which is hey have you thought about this Mm. and I love that yeah it's so so good and for anybody who's heading along to any of those festivals have a blast it's going to be a very very fun weekend I'm already looking forward to a month's time if though because that's when paint opens So Paint is a story based on Bob Ross, not actually Bob Ross, but a kind of archetype of that character. Before we talk about this, because I am just catching up, I can't believe I missed this, let's hear a little bit of the trailer. There is nothing like having the one you hold dearest, nearest, when the world turns cold. Thanks for going to a special place with me, Carl Dargle. You want to touch my sandals? Oh, Carl. (laughs) Where do I I mean? Owen Wilson. So Uh, perfect. It's so perfect for this role. It's as if they're just making films now that um, (laughs) kind of made for Owen as a vehicle. Yes. Um, Bob Ross, an American, I'm not sure if we'd call him, he he was a painter. Uh, I'm sorry, are you questioning his artistic ability? (laughs) He painted beautiful paintings. I'm not sure they were beautiful. (laughs) But they were awesome. 
He was, you know, in in a sense, he was anti-art establishment because what he was doing was encouraging people to actually just paint. And I wouldn't say that his his scenes were particularly um, high art. And and that's you are not treading a bad very thing. carefully around. That's this. not a bad thing. I mean, it. Some might say it was bad art, but. <laughs> It actually encouraged so many people to pick up a paintbrush and mm. I think that in itself is a wonderful thing. I mean, Bob Ross in America is kind of like smooth music from the 80s. You know, it's like Muzak for art. I think that's the that's how I would envisage Bob Ross. And I, I, I learned about him, well, we all learned about him many years ago. We used to get snippets of his art programs here in Australia but also he would sell kits I think do you remember that back in the in the 80s where you could it was almost like a paint by numbers paint by numbers yeah 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 and and they were tacky AF and I loved it I absolutely loved it sort of forest scenes in America um and he would do Alaskan landscapes but originally he painted them on um uh novelty gold mining pans so it was that kind of art it was it was that, that kind, kind of, of velvet <laughs> velvet paintings you know also that, some of my favorite forms of art the velvet black velvet paintings I love love black velvet paintings see that's the thing you you can love it and know that it's not the most amazing art like it's not taking you to another another level to 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 think about your role in society and and how the world is functioning they were just beautiful things that people made because it gave them pleasure and it gave him pleasure and he had a beautiful voice he was very calming mm. but as it turns out he's uh, an interesting fellow who had quite a controversial life he was he used a technique that apparently his compadre who he took the technique from said he stole it and that was like a I think it's something called a wet on wet technique so you could paint something quickly say in half an hour um and this is an ancient technique from say the 15th century but he made it popular but a friend told him about it and apparently his friend went on to say he ruined my life he's had he had numerous numerous wives he really lived quite the life and also another element that I loved about him was that he had he had a perm in the <laughs> 80s and he was known for his signature perm and he then didn't really It was really a beautiful like halo perm. of a perm too, wasn't it? Yeah, he really, really fluffed out with one of those. You know those perm cones? Yeah. That, yeah, he, he obviously had a lot of work. <laughs> A lot of work done, but he wanted to get rid of the perm, but he couldn't because the perm was so popular. It was his shtick. Um, so, yeah, the, the perm stays. But apparently the story is amazing. Um, and I I just love that they're making Hollywood films about a guy who paints on novelty gold mining pants <laughs> initially. Like that's just a beautiful storyline. April 7, you are going to be there on opening day, I can tell. This oh, is going to be such a fun, fun film. Also, I think that Owen Wilson's a really good actor who is does in general play the mad chiller, but always there's that little volcano about to blow, just mm. like brewing away under the surface. Yeah. You can sort of see that teased in the trailer. Paint, I am so keen on this. It's going to be amazing. Beautiful. Speaking of film, we are days away from the greatest awards ceremony of the year. We've been talking about award season a lot in Bang On over the last few weeks, but the big kahuna comes up this Monday Australian time, the Oscars. You know I love the Oscars. I used to throw Oscars parties. Um, I know. 
Actually, speaking how the mighty fate, have fallen. You're speak, not having a party this year, are you? It goes too late now. I've got to go to bed early. I actually got, you know, I lit- I, I'm not lying when I tell you that Facebook memories is my memory. I would not remember things otherwise. The other day I got a notification for one of the Oscars parties where it was me and my bestie, Ali, who you know, and also Nina Las Vegas. And we were hanging out at my old place in Sydney mm. and someone had made, it was the the year of 127 hours, you know, this, the film of the story of the guy who had to cut his arm off with like a pocket knife or whatever. Anyway, so someone made a cake um, in flesh-coloured icing with little milk bottles, like the milk bottle lollies as the bones sticking out of the end and like jelly as blood. For, that's how much we used to commit to the Oscar party. That's so that's amazing. a little aside. But I tell you what, someone who may not even be at the Oscars is someone who is not that keen on a late night out on the red carpet at another event. Jamie Lee Curtis, first time Oscar nominee, has said that she was not going to attend an Academy Awards dinner before the ceremony because it started at 7.30pm. She knew that they wouldn't be eating any food till 9 and that was just too late for her, but she went even further. You too. Do a matinee. Coldplay. Do a matinee. What about a 12 noon concert, Coldplay? What about it? Bruce Springsteen, do a fucking matinee. You're old. Why wouldn't you let me come see you, Bruce Springsteen, in your glory days, pun intended? Do it at noon or one o'clock, two o'clock, two o'clock matinee, theater in New York, two o'clock. I will come and hear your five-hour concert, Bruce, at 2 o'clock, and I'm going to be home and in bed by 7.30. Yes, Queen. Yes, Queen. And he does play for four or five hours. That is a valid response. Does this speak to you, Miff? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I'm doing matinees at the moment, and and everyone in the audience is me. I get it. I don't want to deal with the post-work traffic on a Friday night to go to a show. I don't want to deal with the post-theatre crowd to get home. I don't want to get I to bed after go midnight. To a matinee. I just yeah. want to go to a matinee. They're great. They're great fun. Yeah, I, I'm absolutely on board with this. If I, it's, it's like all ages gigs, but just for older folks. <laughs> it's like that thing of when you're a baby and you're old, you look the same. When you're young, you go to all, all ages gigs. And when you're over 40, you need matinees as well. Like, why does this not happen more often? I know that at arts festivals, they often have gigs that are a lot earlier, and I'm like, bring it on. Last night, Mm. I saw Peaches, and she was on stage at 8.30, and I thanked her for that. She's like, yeah, it's a two-hour show. We're not going past 10.30. She knows what's going on. is one of us. She is one of us. (laughs) She is one of us. But why doesn't this happen more often? Because, you know, in Japan, gigs start at 7 p.m. I love that. In Sydney, you've got the headliner coming on at 9 or 10. In Melbourne, it's like 11. 11 p.m. on a school night, 11 p.m. I had to nap before going to a gig in Melbourne. (laughs) I have to have a decent nap just to make sure I'll still be awake and then I'm absolutely shattered the next day. Why doesn't this happen more often? I know, and she's calling out her, her, you know, her contemporaries as well. Bruce Springsteen, she goes, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> you know that Bruce works out for half an hour every day just to keep his fitness up for stage, not for any other reason, just oh so God. he can run around and do five-hour shows. And He's he constantly amazing. in training. <laughs> he is amazing, but he can afford to, like, sleep in in the morning. No one else can. We've got to get on with life. And I totally get where Jamie Lee Curtis is coming from. Amazing. Well, I'm hoping that the um, matinee gigs come forward. I mean, there's an opportunity to sell grazing boards. I know that a lot of bars are like, we won't sell booze. I'm pretty sure that in Australia, you'll sell booze at any time of day, to be honest. And you'll be able to get a big crowd of people 
um, old fucks like us who are keen <laughs> to go to bed a little bit earlier than midnight or 1am on a school night. Exactly. There was a great opinion piece in Nine News this week. Kerry Sackville, a long-time columnist, has written something quite funny and it's a very important issue, I think, for these these days and these ages. We've just about liberated the nipple. Is it time to free the penis, Sam? <laughs> um, <laughs> the question I ask every day, Miff. I know, I know. And what what Kerry is, is going on about is that, well, 2023 has been declared the year of the circumboob. Now, I need to go back to what the circumboob is. Please. But this is basically showing all the areas of the boob except the nipple, uh, as far as I can gather. So you're thinking circumference as applied to a boob? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, apparently this is thrilling in the fashion world, according to Kerry. Uh, designers looking for new ways to be innovative. And she also says that nudity is no longer something that we look towards as being shocking and therefore seeing an almost nude body on the catwalk or whether it be an award ceremony or whatever is 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 no longer a thing. It's it's so commonplace that we are comfortable with it as an idea, as a society, all of that. And and Kerry is also suggesting then that if this is the case, why are the men who when they want to put on a little bit of little bit of glamour might go for a cape, like they cover up even more. Why are we not freeing their bodies yeah. in the same way? Now I wouldn't go so far as to free the penis as she's suggesting. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that at all, <laughs> but it, it certainly raises a lot of issues about the difference between women in public positions and, and how they dress or can dress or want to dress or have to dress compared to men, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that she also makes the point that, you know, all women and, and humans should be free to dress how we wish. There's not a point about that, but it's kind of like how how much more naked can women get and why are we fed this line? This is what really resonated with me in this piece. Why are we fed this line that the more naked we are, the more empowering it is? I think that it's a, a strange double standard that is, as you say, not applied to men, but also um, that path to empowerment, you know, and, and kind of like that obligation to take it as far as possible as you can because it has been when you think about it I remember like two or three years ago again I think on an Oscars red carpet the trend was sheer dresses it was just like undies and bra and then like sheer Mm. material and that's totally fine and there's no judgment of that but why doesn't go for it if you can why doesn't it apply to to, you know men and women and why is Thor not getting around in his undies and at, at what point is there is there going to be like no one like nothing left on the stage? <laughs> Having just watched Peach's show last night, where there was just so much nudity, it's just like yeah, I can you know at a certain point it's just flesh out there. There's nothing Absolutely. left. <laughs> and Peach's was doing that in the two thousands. Remember, this is uh, kind of a repeat of what she was doing around that time, and it was quite controversial back then. And she was also at the forefront of that body positivity um, and and letting your hair grow and taking taking photos of your crotch, which is very much where we're at as a culture now. But hers was so much about critiquing that kind of prudish culture yeah. that we live in. And, and now it's almost as if we've gone the other way where we show so much we show so much skin, but it's without that that sense of empowerment almost, mm. I think. 
One of the things that Carrie says in this piece is that men are simply not subject to the constant objectification and sexualization of their bodies. So you can't, we, absolutely we can talk about the freedom to dress how you want, the empowerment that you may feel and validly feel about that. But there is a pressure to keep going. And I think that's her whole point of this. It's like, how far can we go? Why do we keep on pushing to have this shock value, to have this attention value? And with every moment of that, you keep on peeling back another layer of clothing. Men just don't have that. They don't have to get attention by showing flesh. And that I agree with that. I think that that just becomes this sort of undercurrent through fashion, um, through red carpets, through making your name as a woman. Why is being groundbreaking associated so closely with the physical body that we are mm. in and that we show? Um, and she kind of asks that question, you know, free the chest, free the penis, free the testicle, free it all. <laughs> circum boob, let's have circum balls. And, oh. then, and then watch how the gender dynamics change. So just the <laughs> idea of what happens if men were going down this path, then yeah. what conversation would we be having? I think I, this is a great think piece because it is, it makes you think about how we just have been accepting this, this sort of like stripping away quite literally of clothing and that just becoming normalised. It's, again, totally fine, not being prudish. Do what you want. But why doesn't it happen to male and female um, performers on stage to people on red carpets. Think about that. Think about yeah. w what's happening there. Um, can, a great piece. Can we just circle back? And I circum use circle word, back, not, <laughs> not lightly, but intentionally. Can we just circle back to the circum boob? Yeah, which is apparently the fashion moment that Ooh. we're in at the moment. Yeah. Um, now, circum boob is about showing all the bits of the boob. Uh, so, yes, like a little bit of tissue over the top or something, a string bikini, worn upside down. You need to see side boob, under boob, top boob, all of it, all the boob, all the boob. Need a lot of Hollywood tape for that or some, some help, some surgical yeah. help for it to be that pert. Uh, now, what I want to see, though, is that circum boob is not just something for those who are conventionally blessed with boobs of a type that would be comfortable with the circum boob. Mm. I mean, this is true empowerment, isn't it? If we're going to go circum boob, everyone should be able to go circum boob. And that includes you and me, anyone over the age of 60, whatever, out in public, because, frankly, if you've got boobs like mine, you could use that as an extra arm. <laughs> like, you can carry way more shit under there. If I'm, if I'm doing circum boob, I mean, we know that. Like, you can put a pencil case underneath. Remember the magazines that said if you can put a pencil under your boob that, like, there's, you know, they're not pert enough? Well, fuck that. If we can go circum boob, all of us, not just those who are blessed with perfect breasts, then we have so much more areas in which to carry things. Who needs a dress with pockets when you've got circum boob with boobs like I was, ours? I was thinking about it this morning. It'd be great. I'd just pop a few things under there. <laughs> Easy access. No need for pockets. We could actually go completely nude then. What am I going to do case. with my clutch? Just shove it under my boob. <laughs> I think you're onto something there, Miff. I know. I love it. <laughs> what are you banging on about this week? Um, clearly my future as a fashion designer, boob. fashion designer, the fashion I mean, is me and my yeah, boobs. That's right. Okay. This week I'm banging on about something I watched actually over the holidays and I thought we might've covered it, but I do remember one of our bang fam recommending it to us, mm. uh, because it was, they said so good. And I put it on my list of things to watch over the Christmas break and I did, and I wanted to bang on about it cause I think it shouldn't 
be missed. Don't let it disappear. Colin from Accounts mm. starts off as a pretty conventional comedy. Two people meet via a dog that's involved in an accident and you think, oh, this is pretty standard standard comedy fare. Gorgeous little Australian comedy, Patrick Rammel and Harriet Dyer, who are a couple in real life, who've written this piece. It just develops beautiful layers as you move into it. The first couple of episodes, like I said, feels like it's 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 gorgeous you know you, you want to watch them because they're hugely entertaining and and great to watch on screen but then as i said it develops layers and a complexity and a depth that i think only something that has been made by two people who know the roles intimately and have created the characters could come up with i think it's a gorgeous little capsule um something that if you need a, a a watch that's going to make you feel good but also um you know make you question a lot of things it's it's a really interesting little show I love awesome it. I've been only watched the first couple of episodes and then like everything I'm like I just forgot because I got distracted by that thing over there so I need to go back and watch the rest of it yeah um, but yeah very very keen and I love both of the Patrick Bramall and Harriet Dyer they're both awesome they did a really good episode of Summer Love as well that ABC oh, TV did, series yes. which is really good but yeah. they didn't play a couple they played different people in different couples um and that was that re- that episode resonated with me a lot uh but they're so brilliant and great writers and, and great actors and, and comedians as well so very keen okay thank you for the reminder of that yeah um what are you banging on about I'm banging on about a an audiobook that I experienced, listened to, read, I don't know how to say it, um, very recently and loved it to bits. It's the Stanley Tucci memoir, Taste. Have you read this? Uh, no, I haven't. Everyone's oh, been recommending it to me, though. Tell me more. You will love this, Smith. It's, I highly recommend the audiobook uh, version as well because he does read it and he's got such a dry wit and he's just such a beautiful person to listen to and you want to hear him tell his own story. The only bad side to listening to the audiobook is that you don't get to see the recipes that he ends every chapter with. Aww. And so I've got to find a way to get those recipes at Bang Fam. Please email them to me if you've got, you know, maybe screenshot the recipes if you've got the book. But the it's just such a great memoir of someone that I only knew little, little bits and pieces uh, about because Stanley Tucci is one of those actors that he's never quite been the leading man in many things. He's always another character and a great character in, in films like The Devil Wears Prada and he was part mm. of Big Night. But he's just sort of always a character in a larger film. He's not necessarily the leading man. And I've never dug into his life. He's got a really interesting life. He comes from an Italian-American background. He grew up with you know immigrant parents for whom their home in Westchester, New York, was always filled with food, filled with food that was really different to the kids that he went to school with. You know, they were having really plain American food and he was bringing these amazing meatball sandwiches to school and eating olives and all kinds of incredible dishes. And Yum. again, you know, we talk about food a lot on Bang On, but it's because, you know, food is life. Never waste a meal. And this has just spoke to me in such a beautiful way of how food tells our story but also helps us form new connections and 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 bond with people. And as an actor who's got a very transient life, he uses food as a way to connect around the world. Mm. And he also did recently a, um, a series which... I can't. I haven't seen it. You can only watch it on a plane. I saw it. I didn't even know it's on there, but it was on like Qantas in-flight entertainment a few months ago. I don't think it's on in Australia, but it's, um, a, I think it's called Stanley Tucci's Italy or Journey to Italy, where basically goes to a different region and explores the food and the story of that area. And it's just delightful. So oh, he's got fabulous. this real like kind of late life career change where he's become, he's always been a foodie, but now he's just doing that. And he says in the book, 
you know, I'm kind of getting sick of acting. I'm like, well, this is a great side hustle to like merge into. You live in the dream. But it's yeah. just gorgeous. Like it's such a, a wonderful read or listen um, and I just adored it. I adored it so much and really easy read as well. So it will make you hungry though. In fact, Love just that. talking about it, I I'm want to have pasta now. for Can lunch. we go? I'm, I'm ready Meatballs. for lunch. I'm ready to. <laughs> so I, will, I will always eat pasta. The other day I had pasta, pasta for lunch well. and dinner. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's a normal day. <laughs> I have it for breakfast sometimes and that's okay. Pasta is life. Pasta for breakfast. Pasta is life. Parmesan cheese is life. It's the greatest. Well, yeah, Absolutely. Well, I'll see you um, next week for more chats for our uh, six-year and one-week anniversary of, of Bang On. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy birthday, all that. That's Happy amazing. Happy birthday to you. Um, what a treat, yeah, as always. what an honour. What an honour to get to work with you for six years. Love you, Zan. Love you too, babes. I'll see you next week. All right. On. I was thinking about it this morning. It'd be great. I'd just pop a few things under there. <laughs> Easy access. No need for pockets. We could actually go completely nude then. What am I going to do case. with my clutch? Just shove it under my boob. <laughs>